I don't think I actually would be where I am in a career now or where I went with rowing if I didn't have diabetes. Welcome to Under the Insulin. This is a podcast for people with type 1 diabetes by people with type 1 diabetes. Drawing upon our lived experiences, we'll be sharing real conversations about navigating life with T1D. Diabetes affects all aspects of our lives, and we're here to talk about it openly and honestly. Highs and lows, triumphs and woes, we've got it all. So grab your favorite snack, give yourself some insulin, and listen up. This is Under the Insulin. So welcome to Under the Insulin podcast with today's hosts, Madison and Julia. Today, we are talking to Chris Jarvis, founder and CEO of I Challenge Diabetes, an Olympic rower, and Dr. Heather Vandergeest, who is a naturopathic physician and a former member of the Canadian Junior National Rowing Team. Both Chris and Dr. Heather are TUNDs and are longtime friends from the rowing at an elite level. We had a great conversation that has something for everyone, whether you're super into sports, like Madison, or super not, like Marina. Would one of you like to give a bit of the backstory on how you met and the impact you had on each other personally and in sport? I would love to hear Heather's rendition of it because I've been telling people about how I got connected to Heather so many times, but I don't think I've heard your version of it. Okay, yeah, I'll give the intro. So um, I was on the junior national team uh, rowing out of Elk Lake. And there was actually one day that somebody, I went to practice and one of the guys at the boathouse was like, Heather, you left all your diabetes stuff here yesterday. And I kind of, you know, I was kind of like, no, I have it here. And actually, that's one of the, probably the things we'll talk about later is like what we take to our practices and to help with you know if we're low but I had this little like waterproof diabetes bag and I said no all my stuff's here and then it was like a little light bulb went off and I said there's another diabetic rowing and uh I said is there any other and so I asked the boatman I said is there any other like diabetics here I said because this isn't my stuff and they're like oh yeah there's a guy on the national team Chris Jarvis it must be his and uh so I was like oh my gosh so I was like that's so cool so I it was like my mission when the guys were training that I was going to find this guy named Chris Jarvis because he also had diabetes and I wanted to introduce myself and I was I was only 16 at the time and I think Chris you were yeah like 22 yeah and so I like made it my mission that day to try and introduce myself between practices. And, you know, all these guys stand at least six foot three. So I was like, hi, who's Chris Jarvis? (laughs) And uh, that's how I kind of, then we got introduced. And so I introduced myself to Chris and we started kind of talking about how we dealt with our diabetes. And I was on an insulin pump at the time. And Chris was still doing the good old uh, syringes. So we ended up sitting in between practice and actually just like talking about diabetes and how we managed it with uh, rowing and just life in general. And that's where our friendship started. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how I remember it. And um, I, I often refer to it as the birth of I Challenge Diabetes because it came out of nowhere for me. Uh, There was no no preparation all of a sudden this like 
young woman comes up to me with my blood test kit and starts being positive and excited about talking about diabetes, which I had never experienced before. And so uh, she was sharing some of her tips and like showing me how she takes her things out in the water with her waterproof pouch. And it was a really cool experience for me. And so, it, yeah, we not only connected to, to chat then, but continued to connect out to meet her family. And uh, being far away from my family, it was similar, you know, with I Challenge Diabetes, we try to be an extended family. And, and that's where it started for me. Yeah. Another thing is my mom is like the mom that tries to take care of all children that may be far away from home. And I was still in high school. Chris was training, but, you know, far away from his own family in Ontario. And so my mom literally went through all of my diabetes stuff. Heather, do you use this? Heather, do you use this? Does Chris need this? Does Chris need this? And gave, gave him a bunch of like extra supplies that I wasn't using. There was even a, what was it? A scholarship or a bursary or something. And so my mom was like, Heather, you're not old enough, but tell Chris about it. <laughs> and so, yeah. And then we just started hanging out. It was good. Yeah, and I went from that isolated, doing it all on my own to having a buddy to talk to about it and uh, certainly made a big impact for me. And I ended up getting that scholarship too. So I know you went to Italy. I still remember. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's so good. And it's really nice to like have other people to talk to. And I've always been super open about having diabetes. It's never been something that I've hidden from anyone because my kind of take on it is the more people that know, the more people can help anybody in a situation that needs it. And I think that's one of the things I really stressed with the I challenge diabetes is that it, it shouldn't be something that you like keep to yourself. I, I remember some of the kids that when we were out in Toronto at um, one of the camps that they didn't tell anyone. Like, I think one kid said that not even his like siblings or some of his family knew he had diabetes. And to me, that was such a shock because I, I mean, it could have been my introduction to all people is like, hi, I'm Heather. I have diabetes. Not to like associate as being like the diabetic and that controls me because it obviously was not, but it allowed that open conversation to then talk about it and allow people to ask questions that they may not have been able to ask to somebody else that was more uncomfortable talking about it. I love that. That's like so cool because that's like totally the essence that it still is to this day. You know, hearing it from the OGs, it's like so nice to hear. I don't know. That's that's so awesome. Obviously, now you guys have gone off in different different directions with your careers, how does that intersect back with diabetes and sport? Well, for me, I went on, um, I'm now a naturopathic physician in both Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. And I'm very open actually about telling patients I have diabetes, just not so that I, I mean, I do treat some diabetics, but it's not a huge part of my practice. And I, I guess I can get into why I've kind of made it that way. Um, but I do always tell patients I have it because no matter what they're dealing with, if they also know that I've been a patient as well, and that it's not only them with whatever their health condition is, I think it kind of makes it more real that it's they're Yeah. They're not the only one dealing with something and it is possible to go on and live your life and do everything you want to do even though there may be a diagnosis behind your name. 
from that opportunity to see another person and to see how hard Heather was working and still some of the challenges that she would face that didn't stop her, but sometimes made her stop for a moment, right? That it made it more okay for me as well to accept and to, um, to pursue what I wanted to do regardless of those bumps on the road. And I remember um, at one point, Heather had some challenges with sights. And, you know, if you just hear about that or you experience it yourself, you might think that it's something that you've done wrong. Uh, but knowing somebody and being able to see Heather and all the care that she was taking into it really taught me how to approach anybody with an, a challenge uh, with an open mind of just, you know, trying to uh, support them through it. And so you ask about what we're doing now. I mean, where I started, I challenged diabetes with, with these friends. And now we support thousands of people with type one diabetes and their family members. Like I said, Heather took way better care of herself when she was rowing than I did. Um, from a cleanliness perspective, I splashed around in the water a fair bit. And so I was thinking, what, how did I not get a site infection in that, in that case, you know, um, but I remember her talking about how many steps she tried to take to prevent it. And then it happened again. And, um, and so it was just something, you know, unique that she faced. Uh, yeah, I find that even if it's like different challenges that people face with diabetes, whether it be highs and low blood sugars, whether it be the insulin site infections that I seem to for a while just constantly get, um, it's, yeah, there's, it may not be the exact same challenge, but there's that underlying like, hey, if you have diabetes, there's other people that you can reach out to and you can talk to that may have had those challenges in the past or something similar and then you can kind of brainstorm on where to go next with it so I'm curious Heather because you mentioned why you've structured your practice this way and some people think I'm a little crazy because I am engaging with diabetes all the time yeah. I'm wondering where where you find your purpose yeah so I mean if if there's ever a diabetic that needs my help, I am always happy to take them on. And I actually have a hard time feeling like I should charge for that service because it's just like me trying to share everything I know about diabetes and have been through. Um, I've structured my practice. I mean, I'm always happy to see them. So if anyone wants to reach out, I'm happy to. But I structured my practice kind of away from diabetes in general, just because I found that I would pour every ounce of my energy into helping these people and some of them maybe weren't quite ready to take on all that responsibility themselves yet and I found that if I was doing that eight hours a day I was neglecting my own care as much because I was putting so much into trying to help them because I could see that they were struggling more than I was and you know, it's diabetes is a 24 hour a day thing. Like it doesn't matter if you're awake, asleep, you're on vacation or you're at work, you're still, there's still always like the little like wheel in the back of the head being like, okay, what are my blood sugars? How much insulin do I have on board? When did I eat? You know, how am I feeling? And just making sure that I'm at optimal. And I do take very like tight control of my diabetes. And I'm always happy to help people that want to do that as well but I found if people were really struggling I couldn't put every ounce of my energy into that eight hours a day you know right now I'm working six days a week so it's I was kind of neglecting my own diabetes when I got home if I had a bunch of patients that needed a lot of help at work too but 
that being said, um, I just actually got in touch with a guy I went to elementary school with that at the age of 37, 36, just got type one diabetes. And so him and I do like a call probably once every two to three weeks just to kind of check in. And it's, I, I love talking about it with somebody else that's wanting to like understand their own condition better and just kind of weed through all the beginning stuff. And man, it was like bringing me back to when I was first diagnosed and then I'm able to help a friend that I haven't seen since, you know, grade seven, but I love my practice. I get to help people with a lot. I mean, I'm still dealing with athletes. So I guess that kind of all blends in. So <laughs> I have a question for you on that like topic there. So if you're dealing with a lot of athletes and you're taking a naturopathic approach, how do you deal with like the food aspect of obviously you have to have sugars to like counteract lows and navigate that with somebody who's an athlete wants to do the naturopathic perspective um, and their T1D. So I really, I kind of just explain it how I did it back when I was training as well, you know, make sure that you have, you know, sugars with you, you know, whether it be in your little waterproof case or at least close by in a backpack. Um, But also just making sure that you have like the proteins, like you're, you're getting that combination between the fats, the proteins, and the more like low glycemic carbohydrates. I mean, having the high glycemic ones to get you out of a low, um, but really just a balance and whether they're type one diabetic or, or not, it's, I still always bring that diabetes aspect into it of saying, you know, if you're having a lot of like quick carbohydrates that go into your blood system really quickly, you're also going to come down quickly. And that come down is because you've also, you know, in a non-diabetic, somebody's also produced insulin. So I always kind of talk about the diabetes aspect, even to the non-diabetics, because I think it's an important understanding that most people don't have because their body's doing it for them uh, as to you know, how foods affect blood sugars, diabetic or not. So I really kind of emphasize, you know, the veggies, the proteins, the making sure that things aren't going into the bloodstream too quickly, and then coming out quickly, and which kind of gives you that crash, diabetic or not. Oh, yeah, also that the highs and lows like that cause more inflammation in the body, which cause more pain in the body. And I deal a lot with like pain and injury management. So there's a huge kind of focus into decreasing that inflammation that somebody has as they're trying to heal from injury. I think what you're saying about how we prepare our bodies for sport makes a lot of sense, Heather. Like I know even in my work, in my just doing sports, um, I'm surprised by how people take care of their bodies in relation to preparation for sport um, and really think of, do they have that understanding of, you know, what are simple carbohydrates for, what are complex carbs good for, how do they balance that um, to ensure that they're actually maximizing their body's readiness for sport. So how do you prepare mentally and physically, and Chris can answer this as well, for a successful sport slash moving your body that what does that look like for each of you i have a a memory heather i I actually got to row with another uh rower probably around 17 years old and so she was rowing at her high school club level and 
I got to go and row in a double with her. And so the rest of her teammates went out in their traditional boat and we did like a warm up, and we were going to do some pieces against the, the eight. And then I ended up having a low, like right after the warm up. And I remember being so frustrated. I was thinking I'm going to, you know, waste this person's practice and I'm frustrated with it. And, and I remember that she laughed and she laughed and she laughed because she's like, wow, like I've never had somebody else be the one that's low. And so I would remind uh, my, like one of my most important parts is that I went through a lot of these ups and downs um, while training for Athens and you know, so many other races. And so these are part of our journey. And if we're thinking about our body and that preparation and the, you know, the balance of things that we need to do, we're going to get stronger just like everybody else. And in a lot of cases, when you add an extra strain and you get the right support around you, you'll probably grow even stronger because of it. Um, so it's important to think about the support. And I think that's likely why Heather liked to get that out there right away. So that somebody who might be supportive would be the people who aren't going to be supportive. They're likely not going to be that supportive anyways. So, you know, from a mindset and a preparation side, I, I think it's really important to set a line for yourself because if you find yourself thinking, Oh, like, you know, I, I can, I can do it. I can hang on at this level then you're going to end up getting to a part where it's a lot worse than if you had treated it right at the start. So it's important to try to set a standard for yourself of when do you, you know, put diabetes first. And on that note, to try and make sure that you're able to let go when your blood sugars are in the zone and just enjoy it because you got to be able to like, just fully immerse yourself in whatever sport that is, um, sport or activity that is. Otherwise, you know, you're going to miss out on those, those beautiful moments. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I just, Madison, as you were like asking that question, it kind of got me thinking of, you know, what I was going to answer with it. And one of the things, first and foremost, I don't think I actually would be where I am in a career now or where I went with rowing if I didn't have diabetes. And when I tell people that they're kind of like, oh, what do you mean? But what I find is that Yes, it did take more preparation to get ready for a race. You know, I wanted to make sure I didn't let my teammates down by being low. Um, but also, like, I just wanted to be the best I could be. And I think I actually probably prepared myself better for each race because I knew exactly what my blood sugars were going into a race. I knew exactly what my body was going to do during a race if I prepared well. So, Yes, if we had a race at nine in the morning, you know, maybe my teammates got up at seven and they got to the boathouse, got in the boat, and then we go do warm up. I may have actually been up earlier than that to make sure my blood sugars were good, make sure I had the food, make sure that I was prepared for that race that was even in like three hours from the time that I woke up. So it did take more kind of prep in, in that time. But I found actually, if I went into the boat actually a little bit higher than I usually like, you know, I tried to keep my blood sugars around nine or 10 going into a warm up for a race, because I knew that some of that sugar would be used up with getting ready for that race. And then also just the excitement of racing. When I get like, if I'm like stressed about something, my blood sugars go up. But if it's like an excited stress, like racing, my blood sugars go down. So I knew that about myself. I knew exactly how my body was functioning. 
you know, I, I know when I'm going to get sick a couple days before I get sick because my blood sugars start to show me. So same kind of thing with racing. I, I definitely, yeah, took more preparation, but it allowed me to know exactly where I needed to be. And I raced optimally starting a race at about nine or 10. And by the time I was done the race, I was like four or five. And I knew that my blood, I, I knew I could trust what my blood sugars were at the beginning to give me optimal performance through that race. So I had a lot more of that background information than I think most other teammates that didn't have diabetes had or, and gave it a lot more thought. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it does take that extra, you know, effort, but it always pays off. Like the more effort you put in, it always shows. The more you study for exam, the more it shows. So that's great to hear that. When So obviously you have a, like a system in place for how you were to prepare for a race. What were your emergency systems looking like? Did you have a teammate who carried an extra snack with you? Did you carry the extra snacks? Was it your parent on the sideline? How did that look for you guys? I'm sure my mom secretly, I mean, I know that my mom always had snacks at races, um, but it was one of those things I didn't want to put any, and I mean, still to this day, I probably have to get better at allowing other people to help me. Um, I, I never wanted it to be a burden to anyone else. I didn't make it a burden for myself either, but I always had my little waterproof container uh, like sports bag and it had a tester in it. It had a juice box and it usually had sugar. In in my opinion, dextrose tabs are the grossest thing on the planet. So I had to be like super low. Like I probably had to be like dangerously low before I would actually put those in my mouth. But I usually carried either jelly beans. Um, jelly beans work quite well. And I just had them in a little baggie or... Um, yeah, or a juice box. And then a cliff bar. I always had cliff bars. Um, and I found kind of in training, if I, after school, going to practice, I, I'd get a cliff bar, you know, down. And that kind of was enough of the carbohydrate to last me through the practice. And um, those were kind of my emergency things. I always had stuff in my rowing bag. I had stuff on the water with me, uh, just in case. And then of course I had stuff in my car and I think my mom secretly had a large coat that was probably more full of more snacks that I could ever imagine. <laughs> yeah. When, when we started doing exercise programs together with type ones, I quickly realized that everybody's at a different place. And so what I tried to share with people was the frequency of testing isn't saying that you have to test this frequently every day of your life. But if we do it for a period of time, let's say you're just getting into a sport, um, it's a really good time to try and test frequently throughout that and just learn what your body is doing. And Heather talks about knowing what's going to be the response of her body because she wrote a lot. And so through that practice as well, I would, I would learn those uh, routines. And, and she mentions you know, that the preemptive changes that when the blood sugars start changing, it's probably because of something. So like leading into a world cup, or the world championships, I would start to see my insulin needs and the, the timing change. So there would be, you know, times where I would have to wait 30 or 40 minutes before I could eat after taking insulin around a big competition, because the stress of that competition, despite all the mental tricks that I'd play on myself, you know, still 
resulted in my my insulin being stubborn. And that, that's when we had sensors come along. Uh, I, I wasn't able to do that uh, prior to sensors because you know there there wasn't as much learning. But um, I would just say to people to to think about doing it as a learning experience and not be uh, afraid of what the numbers are. There are no bad numbers. All we're doing is watching them to see how can we adjust. And so because of that, I've been able to do all sorts of different activities. I've, I've run uh, sprints, I've done long distance uh, uh, triathlons and rowing. Um, I've done a lot of different things. And so each time I try to go into a phase where I, I test a little bit more in our rowing routine, I would always test right when I woke up, I would have my breakfast and insulin. And then I would test um, just after I did my you know, usually I bike to practice um, back then. So um, I would bike and I would see, okay, which way is my blood sugar headed? And then I would do that probably two more times during the warm uh, before, before the practice got really serious. And that gave me a good sense for what was happening that day. And, you know, I'd probably have three different plans depending on if my blood sugars were being naughty or, or nice. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And each day is different. Like it's, it's not, just because one day, you know, that cliff bar was enough to get me through practice. Like I always had that extra and I tried not to go, even if I felt like my blood sugars would be fine through the practice, I always had extra stuff with me. And, you know, it's um, one of the things that I actually it reminded me when Chris was talking is that different sports do different things, right? Once my body got used to the practices with rowing and stuff, I had everything kind of a little bit more fine-tuned. I knew a clip bar and what it would do for a practice versus, you know, having something else before practice. But cross-training was another, you know, it, just because it worked for one sport, it, it can change for another. You know, if I go swim lengths of a pool, I know exactly what my blood sugars are going to do. But if I go play in a pool and just bounce around and you know, go down water sides and play around with friends, my blood sugars, I'd be so much lower and I would need to kind of adjust my insulin differently for kind of each, each different sport or what kind of activity. So I, I knew this because I tested more times than I will ever be able to count. You know, if it was, I probably during rowing days was 10 testing like 10 to 15 times a day. And anytime I felt that something was different with my blood sugars, I would test. I wouldn't guess because it then gave me a better understanding of, hey, I'm feeling like this. What are my blood sugars? Is it a blood sugar thing or is it something else that's I'm I'm feeling with it? So testing lots. I mean, your fingers just get callous beyond belief, you know. Thank goodness for CGMs now that can kind of map out what our blood sugars are doing. But it's such a great way to see exactly what's happening. And then you can kind of fine tune and make the adjustments you need. Both of you are very confident in your ability to predict your blood sugars and have a good understanding of how you need to react. Have you had any experiences where your teammates or your coaches aren't on the same page as you? They don't trust your abilities to manage efficiently? I think I was pretty confident um, to, you know, let my coaches know that I was doing everything I could. Uh, I think maybe behind the scenes, they might have been a little bit more, you know, I had one coach that only after I stopped rowing and I went and I rowed with um, 
a different crew just for a regatta because they need an extra person. And I overheard my coach tell their coach, oh, don't expect too much from her. She has diabetes. And I, I was livid because this coach had never given that kind of impression to me. And I had never given a reason to doubt what I was doing with diabetes while I was rowing. But it was interesting to see that like slip of the tongue. Maybe it was like oh. a little bit of insecurity that, that you went to row for a different team. And so like, you know, taking a bit it of a shot. You always anyway. got to factor in the human component there. I know like for me in university was my hardest experience with a coach um, through high school. I really didn't know what I was doing with my diabetes, but I was listening to the coach and I was doing the practices the best I could. And so the coach really appreciated that. When I went to university, I think the coach wasn't ready for the level of athletes that he was responsible for. And so there was a lot of immaturity on his side. And when he was having the hardest time with the whole team is when he would take it out on me with, with my diabetes. Um, and, you know, he's made ridiculous remarks like that, like the, what you've heard, Heather. Um, there's one time he told me that he would have taken back my scholarship due to my diabetes if he could. And then, you know, a year and a half later, I was rowing at the Olympics. And of course, he was like, oh, yeah, I, I always knew you could do it. So I think it's important and to know that people are going to have slips of the tongue like that. They're going to say things that are silly. They're going to say things that might be true, right? It's, it's a challenge to live with diabetes. Um, there's going to be moments, but I always looked at my teammates and saw the challenges that they went through. And the people that look back and see all the work that you do, they're going to have a lot more respect for how hard you're working and the extra effort that you put in. Uh, I know that from so many teammates that had my back uh, along the way. Yeah, teammates are amazing. And, you know, if it, it probably happened just maybe like one or two times that I'd be like, can you grab something out of my bag for me? But teammates were always there like, how are you doing? And I would ask them the same thing, you know, like, I'm sure there was multiple times that it was more my teammates that needed my dextrose tabs, you know, during a practice because they were they were fading for from you know whatever as well so we always had each other's backs and I think I think that's one thing I miss the most of um like from being on a team like that is that camaraderie and having each other's back it's uh once you stop you kind of feel a little bit lost because I mean it becomes your identity you like eat sleep and grow and take care of your diabetes in the process and those teammates, you go through everything with them in, in a boat, right? Like, I mean, you're racing your hardest, they're racing their hardest, but rowing's one of these sports that everyone has to be working together and doing exactly the same thing at the same time in order to actually get that boat to move. And um, yeah, it's, I, most of my teammates were very supportive and, you know, I had my, my core group and it's that's kind of uh yeah that's what you kind of go you know those are the people those are your people and they help you out along the way and you help them i'm hearing from you both how much the community that you were part of with rowing with diabetes has really helped you to get to where you are right now 
Um, and I empathize with your stories as well. I know for me in high school, I took an accelerated PE class and my mom had written this note to the teacher and the note was something like, um, you know, Madison has diabetes. She might need to treat her blood sugars with snacks if she goes low. Um, and like, she's really, you know, looking forward to being in this class kind of thing. And I don't think she did this in the past, but I gave this note to the teacher. He read it and he looked at me and he went, why are you in this class? And I trembled, but I was like, because I'm an athlete. And I made it my mission, my challenge that I was going to do well in that class. And I did. But I think there's a lot of myths and beliefs that are really hard to break down about diabetes and about what it means to be active that are constantly coming up, even in the unknown conversations or comments that people have. But even by doing a sport, you can be breaking them down. I'm going to start off, Madison, with the conversation with ourselves, because as you talk about it, I think that we wouldn't have such a heavy impact if we're not always analyzing our own actions. And, you know, we're taking on so many decisions that we're going to make some wrong. And so I'll, I'll share like one of my worst uh, with you. And so I was, because of my athletic history on the rowing team, I was able to row at the Olympics, they they gave me a special berth in this big bike race called the Paris to Ancaster. And it's a mountain bike race um, over 60 kilometers long. And so I'm up in the front and there's well over a thousand riders behind me. And my plan was pretty detailed. Okay. So I had checked my blood sugar multiple times that morning. I had made a really good calculation of my carbs to insulin. And I was planning to eat like 40 grams of carbs at the start line so that I was going to get my blood sugar going in the right direction. And as I was approaching the start line, I had a bike problem. And so I had to stop and try to fix my bike. And I remember I just got it fixed in, as they were counting down 10, nine, eight, I'm you know, right at the start line. And so as I started riding out of those gates, I thought I forgot, you know, I didn't get a chance to eat those carbs. And I thought, okay, I'll be fine. So I'm up there racing with like some of the fastest bikers. And I was really excited about this, keeping with them. And probably like 20 minutes into the race, I started to kind of like, just start to feel like it was harder. And it, it didn't occur to me right away that it was a low blood sugar. Cause I'd kind of put that thought about not eating my carbs behind me. Um, and I'm just going to tell you the whole detail here because it took a while for me to realize it was a low blood sugar but it was encroaching and encroaching. And I started to feel like it was harder and harder to hang on. I just thought, well, these guys are really fast. And then I got to the point where I, I couldn't hang on anymore. And so people started to pass me on this mountain bike trail. And unfortunately, you know, it, 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 like I said earlier, if we don't treat fast enough, it can get bad. And so when I got off my bike, I realized like I better test. And this was, I wasn't wearing a sensor at that time. So I, I got out my finger poker and my blood sugar was actually at 1.8. And it, it occurred to me just like how rough I was. I was dizzy. I sat down on the side of the trail and literally hundreds of bikers like proceeded to pass me over the next 45 minutes that it took me to get my blood sugar back on track. And the reason I share all that is because one of the most important parts about 
um, our, that conversation with someone is to talk to yourself. That was a mistake I made. I am not the mistake, right? And we are going to make a bad decision and we got to be able to leave that in the past and deal with it. Um, and I'm not going to look badly at myself over and over again because we're going to have lots more chances, lots more decisions. Um, so I think that's really important for us to hold on to. If we do make a mistake and someone calls us out on it, we can admit it, made a mistake that time. I'm going to show you. I'm going to come right back to that, that class. I'm going to work hard on it every day. And there might be a couple of days where I'm not my best. And if you look around, I bet you there's a lot of people who are not their best every single day, even if we fake it pretty well. It's so true. It's, you know, you got to just do your best and, and roll with the punches. I mean, I think I say that a lot just also to myself, you know, um, but also like with patients and especially when I was growing, it's like all you can do is your best at that time. And and we make mistakes. And there's there's times that I've definitely I've been like, oh, I'm definitely low and I'll correct it without testing or vice versa. I think I'm high and then I give insulin. And then I get to testing like 20 minutes later and I was like, oh, shoot, I wasn't actually high, you know, I uh, and, then, and then you're kind of having to, you know, make up for that and and eat a bit more. But you can only do your best. And we are all human in regard to that. So you just kind of you got to roll with the punches and, and do the best you can with it. I think one of the myths um, that I would say that. Sometimes if people like here, you have diabetes, whether it's in sport or just in life is, oh, you're diabetic, you can't do blank. And whether it be you can't eat that or, uh, oh, you know, are you sure your diabetes is going to be okay if you do, you know, even with I challenge diabetes, if you are rock climbing or whether you're ice camping or whether you're on like a long multi-day hike, it's it's just about knowing it in yourself and being confident with your blood sugars, your diabetes, your control, and you know how to manage if something is to happen, just like anyone else, right? You have to be prepared for those unknowns and there's the unknown of blood sugars at times, but having those things to help prepare you, even when things don't go according to plan is I, I think like the best and it's one of the things I'm very proud of. I've never used diabetes as an excuse for not being able to do something, right? It's not my diabetes that stopped me from doing something. It could have been my own fear with it or whatnot, right? So I I never used, oh, I have diabetes. I can't do this or, oh, this workout's too hard. If the workout's hard and, you know, you're you're gassed at the end of it, it's not necessarily the diabetes that didn't allow you to it can sometimes even just be your own head thinking like you can't do something so well we're only all humans so we have to be aware of that and always be checking in with ourselves we always finish up with a daily dose question so given that you're both in the sport of rowing and we take this question very seriously so think about it julie and i have decided to ask you what is worse a uni suit, so rowing uniform tan line, or a sensor tan line. What is worse or what is better? I think I can hide my unisuit tan lines better than my sight tan lines. The I, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for a good a good sight tan line. You know what? I would I would say the same. I I actually have a picture and if you want it I can send it. 
I went to my grade 12 grad with the best uni suit tan lines. Didn't even try to cover it up because that's that was me. It was part of, you know, I had my sock tan line, my short tan line. And that's then great. in my dress, I had the, you know, like the uni suit of the back. So I always owned that one. I'd probably say it's more awkward to have the sight tan line because, you know, it's on your stomach or your sensor and you're like brown, it's the middle of summer, you have a great tan and then you just have this like circle of of white and, you know, I'd say that's worse. <laughs> Own the uni suit. That's what I say. I think the unisuit tan line is wild. Like once you get that, there's no coming back from it. You have to own that even throughout winter. It's still there. Like it takes a full year to get rid of. So in that says I think it's worse because it takes forever. But like Heather said, like you've earned that tan line. Like you've worked hard for that. So that's, that's like who you're proud of. Exactly. Like it's a statement. And every rower will know it. So I think that's like awesome in that sense. But then like the sensor, it's also smaller, so you can cover it. You only have a sensor on for a week, so it's not gonna be as prominent. So if you want to get rid of it, I would say the tan lines, the or like the unisuit tan line is the worst. But for a story, they both have cool backstories to both of them. So I would take both. What do you think, Madison? I think the unisuit is worse because me as a person, I always like to hide my sights, hide my sensors, and having a tan line I couldn't hide, that would be like too much for me. Um, with that being said, I really like what you guys have said. You know, you have to own it. You've worked hard. You deserve that. And so you just have to embrace it. It's who you are. Well, I wanted to say that on, on this whole question, the most important part is that you have some skin that isn't burnt. <laughs> putting in a new site on top of burnt skin is the absolute worst. So you got to save some areas. If you're the person who likes to be out there tanning, make sure you got some space for your site next time because uh, it's not going to be fun if you got to put it on top of a sunburn. And that is yeah. perhaps a gem piece of advice to take away from this conversation. Yeah. Practice safe skin. <laughs> SPF every time. <laughs> can we hashtag that, Julia? Oh, of course we can. Such <laughs> a fun podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Under the Insulin. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review our podcast. This is what helps us reach even more listeners and share our message with more type ones who might need to hear it. And if you'd like more information about I Challenge Diabetes or any of the resources talked about today, we've put the links for you in the description. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day. I was like so tanned. And I mean, that tan lasted all winter, but so did that uni tan. It was like white. I could have just <laughs> worn a white, white uni, but I owned it.